All right, Couch Potatoes, we are back with another episode of Rabbit Ears 3.0, I guess, because this is the third season. I've got with me one of my favorite people to talk about television with, and we're going to be talking about probably one of my favorite TV shows that's ever aired. I've got with me Mr. Nick Haskins of Epic Film Guys. Hi, Nick. Hi, Shlee. How are you? I am terrific. How are you? I'm good. You're actually one of my favorite people, not just to talk with about TV with, but other things. Like we've already been on before we started recording half an hour, just chit chatting and catching up. So I right? heard you. I love you so much. Thank you so much for having me back. It's a thrill. Plus, it's always great to get to just talk to you and see you in general because I've met you since the last time I was on the show. Mm-hmm. And a couple times. I'm pretty pretty sure when you saw me both times, you just like charged at me and like gave me the biggest hug ever. And it's like the greatest thing whenever that happens. The first time that I met you in person, I knocked over a few people to get to you. That is true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> worth it. Worth every second. Worth every bit of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are people that are not as, I'm not going to say that they might listen. Those are people that didn't get a hug right away. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. You're one of my absolute favorite people. And yes, this... Uh, I can't wait to talk about this show. Okay, well, let's go ahead before we get into Breaking Bad, which obviously you guys read the title of the episode, so you know what the fuck we're talking about. Before we get into that, <laughs> what have you been up to, I guess, like whatever you want to talk about personally, and then what TV shows have you gotten into in the last couple years since we last talked to you that you want to tell people to check out? Oh, jeez. Well, TV shows is simple because I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I know one of them will probably be the one that Dan mentioned. It's probably Letterkenny. Yep. Yep. So definitely Letterkenny, which I have watched all the... And this is why I don't watch a lot of TV because I find stuff that I'm insanely addicted to and I binge it multiple times through and through. Like there's very few series that I will pick up and just watch like from start to finish and just okay, I watched that, it's over, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, right now, I'm watching my way through Superstore. Oh, I like Superstore. I love Superstore. It's, I mean, it's it's funny, and I really enjoy it. I just love Dina. That's really the only reason I watch that show. I get that. And it's basically because she's Dwight Schrute, but... It is very similar to The Office with kind of, yeah. like, the style and the com it comedic is. But that, I mean... Route. You can make a workplace comedy like that work, I think, in literally almost any way or setting or anything like that. So I'm watching my way through that again. I had watched the latter couple of seasons with my soon-to-be ex-wife. Woo! Ah! Yeah! Divorce buddies! So, yeah. So, But I, I, I didn't... I picked it up late in the game at that point. Like, I, I think I started watching sometime during, like, season three. Mm-hmm. What or so, and I think on it's only now? on season four. I think it's only on season four okay. now. Like, I, I didn't watch a ton of it, but I'd never watched, like, the early seasons of it. So I went back to the beginning and started watching, you know, from the beginning. I, I do enjoy it. I, I, and I love Glenn. Glenn is just fucking amazing. Oh. And give me America Ferrara as Cleopatra any any day of the week. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else? Uh, oh, Big Little Lies. I, I adored season one. Have you seen season two yet? I've seen season two. I okay. season, really... I watched them both back to back because my sister has HBO Go and I was house sitting. So I watched all of season one and that was like mm -hmm. a week before season two came out. Mm -hmm. So then like a month later, I binged all of season two or whenever it was all complete. 
And yeah. I will agree with you. Season one has it by a bit. Yeah. The mystery's and just better. The mystery's better, number one. But I mean, it's one of those things where I think that if you watch season one, especially if you watch them in that close of proximity, I think it's probably even more glaring. If you're one of those TV viewers that's like, I watched the first season and I didn't rewatch it before I watched the second season, you know? Not to say season two's bad. It's still better than most TV out there. And there are certain plot lines that are great. And Laura Dern, especially in season two, is fucking incredible. I adore her so much. Long live Renata. She's such a... Oh, my God. I loved the way her character came into herself in season two. Yes. Oh, like that, like, especially even if you don't watch like, and and it's one of those shows, like, I love the the opening theme. Like the opening theme is what made me want to watch the show. Like, because it was something that my ex started watching and I just would, I like heard that opening theme song and it's so fucking addicting. And then they screwed it up for season two. Like they screwed up where they fade out the song and where it changes, like the way it plays. Like, seriously, it made me so mad. Every episode of season two, this is the weirdest tangent ever, but it made me so <laughs> mad every episode of season two because the intro was just not the same as the intro was in season one because it was perfect. It was just perfect. But the song is like still it's so catchy. It immediately was like, what are you watching? And yeah, I mean, some of the most probably some of the most powerful performances we've seen in television acting in, say, the last decade. Yeah. I would say Tied. maybe since Breaking Bad. Well, Better maybe Call since Saul Breaking is also Bad. in there. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's like you could kind of tie that right back into this show because I and I think that this show stands on the shoulders of a lot of other really, really great shows that came before it where it was more about the slow burn. It was more about building up amazing, amazing characters with incredible, incredible actors giving just career performances and i mean we're going to talk a lot about all that kind of stuff but yeah that's i mean i'm, I'm trying to think other, other than that like television wise no I, I don't i don't watch a ton of television and then like i said <laughs> i i'm seriously on like my fourth time through letter kenny and i only started watching it when was caleb's bachelor party april last year yeah yeah, yeah, seriously, I've watched it through like four times. It. I saw like the first three episodes right before no, right before Caleb's wedding was when I first saw it. So mm-hmm. I've already watched the series through twice now since May of 2019. Yeah, it's so that's and, and then of course I finished a rewatch of Breaking Bad before El Camino came out. Yeah, you and I so. both did. And um, I'll go ahead and preface this whole discussion by saying that Nick and I, neither of us were in a mental capacity to do another full rewatch of Breaking Bad. <laughs> In such a close period of time. Like, I was in a real funk because I binged, I want to say, like, three or three seasons probably in a week. And, like, that, and then that really did my fucking head in. So, like, on my rewatch, I kept it to, like, seasons one and two for the most part. So it wouldn't be as heavy. Yeah, because this show definitely starts to take, especially once you get to the end of season two, this show starts to take a really, really dramatic turn it like, takes really, a toll really on your mental health like yeah the way that they cause you to get and we're getting ahead of ourselves but the way that they invest you in these people these characters it's impossible not for it to take something out of you when you're watching this journey yeah and it a lot of it i think especially in terms of the audience especially you kind of mirror jesse in that regard yeah. 
because that's one of the moments when he's absolutely at his darkest is once you get like through the latter half of season two and then the end of season two and then oh. obviously all the stuff that happens to Jesse. I mean, it's oh God, it's yeah. it's a uh, it's it's crazy. But no, but uh, personally, just to get back to that, I have lost what am I in the neighborhood of like 70, 75 pounds Woo-hoo! now. I'm much smaller than the last one well, you saw me at Caleb's wedding. It was probably the biggest I have ever been. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I weighed. I was probably pushing 400 pounds, but I'm not hundred percent sure, but I have lost a great, great, great deal of weight and I'm going to lose a lot more. Dude, you're kicking ass. And I'm also insanely just, I live a very, very stress-free and very happy life. Now I don't stress out about things anymore. I'm lonely. I'm lonely. I won't lie that I'm lonely, but I am the trade-off for that is I come home every day. I'm happy. I'm in a good mood. Do you know what I was doing last night? I watched Hairspray because I adore Hairspray. The one with John Travolta or The one with John Travolta. Yes. And then I was like literally like I had to go, I went grocery shopping at like the ass crack of dawn today because the grocery store is empty and I just uh, don't want to I, I love people and i don't mind crowds but like i hate grocery shopping in crowds because i'm very point a to point b like i want to get my shit and get the fuck out of the store no i'm down with that so i try to go really early in the morning but like the whole way to the store and the whole way back i was just listening to and singing at six o'clock in the morning singing along to hairspray songs but like it's impossible like that movie is like if you're if you're in a bad mood if you're like ever like not happy or whatever all you have to do is put a hairspray on because it is the most like upliftingly fun and happy thing ever it's very so, cheerful yeah yeah i mean i mean i'm so happy now compared to last time i was on the show or i mean that was quite a while ago that honestly but for glee that was the last was time you were on the glee. show that's another thing i need to rewatch glee, see glee rewatches are always always you watch till the end of season three, and even though there are some episodes uh, leading up to the end of season three where you're just like, oh, yeah. God. And then once you get, like, I cannot, like, the way that Ryan Murphy did that show, I just, and we'll talk about when we talk about Breaking Bad, Vince Gilligan executing the show correctly. Yes. They didn't try to do that. They knew what they had. They Thank told the perfect story the in the perfect amount of time without trying to just, like, get greedy exactly and even though i mean you can some people would make the argument and we'll probably talk about el camino a little bit later as well but some people will make the argument that el camino is kind of pointless that it doesn't necessarily add anything to the show but i mean i i disagree at least in a it it just well number one just because we get to see more of these characters Mm -hmm. and that's never a bad thing I don't know. I don't think it's a lot of people think it was just kind of just a complete waste of time. I don't necessarily think that. I don't think so either. I feel like like I told you before, we did a review of El Camino for anybody who isn't aware of it. Nick and I reviewed it on Netflix and Swill because the boys hadn't seen Breaking Bad. And I said it on there and I'll say it again. It was a nice epilogue. It was not needed to add to the story, but it was a nice like closure piece. El Camino was a great, great epilogue, you know, but. Well, All right. we'll get we'll get we'll there. We'll get there. Before we get there, 
Um, I want to go ahead and paint the picture for what was going on in 2008 when this show first premiered. It premiered alongside America's Best Dance Crew, which I have to say I actually watched and enjoyed the first season. Go Jabberwockies. Lipstick Jungle, which was kind of a Sex in the City ripoff. Um, I did not watch Sons of Anarchy, which actually is kind of of a similar elk to Breaking Bad in terms of like the gritty underbelly of society TV show. But I never watched it. I was it. never... Like, the ex watched it, and as much as I love Katie Seagal and Ron Perlman, yes, adore them, and as much as I enjoy it, like, when I talked, you know, about this show standing on the shoulders of other shows, like, The Shield, I think, is another example of a show that did yes. it 100% perfectly. I love The Shield. This show, I think, is very much in that vein where it's a slow burn. It, 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 I mean, it's obviously a police drama, so it's got more action moments in it, but it's a very slow burn in terms of its overall character arcs and in terms of its overall character development, which I think is something that Vince Gilligan definitely does really well in Breaking Bad and to where every season just kind of keeps building and building and building on the one before it. So that by the time you get to the end of both shows, it's mayhem. It's insane. It's mayhem. And you're so invested that literally everything that happens to these characters is like a fucking emotional roller coaster. You're like all over the place. Everything that happens to them, you're just like, oh, my God. It has so much more depth and meaning because they put in the work with the character development. They put in the work with the story and like the layering. And it just I when I did my little like notes for the show for Breaking Bad, I wrote a little like summary of what happened on each season to keep myself straight. And, like, the first season was, like, two sentences. The second season was, like, eight sentences. And then it got on to, like, paragraphs because there's so much shit happening that is Mm -hmm. important and, like, pivotal to what the story is that it's impossible to leave out. Yeah. so much. I think that that's – Sons of Anarchy was just another one of those FX dramas, kind of in that same vein. But I don't know. I Like, I could never – and I would try to watch along with some episodes because I always heard it was good. Mm -hmm. Number one, I hate Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam is literally poison on celluloid. I cannot stand him. He cannot act whatsoever. So that's one caveat. But then I don't don't know. Like, there's just something about it just didn't I tried to get into it, like, within the last couple years because I was told – my sister told me it was so good. And so I, like – sat through like one of these like six episodes i was like i can't fucking do this i just can't so i didn't but one other show that premiered that year that i am super into and will look forward to covering hopefully soon was fringe did you ever watch fringe i never got into fringe oh, no never saw it a single episode so i am a huge joshua jackson fan like i have loved Love him the since creek his pacey days i he is oh, in yeah. my top three mm. of guys my top Mm-mm. three being henry cavill tom hardy and Joshua Jackson that I will I thought forever the, love. I thought the first three was just Henry Cavill. No. But, okay. No. He, and honestly, it's pretty much a like three-way tie because I cannot rank them. I love them all three so much <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> but Fringe is one of those shows that is just like, and I'm not typically into science fiction, but this show is fucking cool as shit. And I will stop mm-hmm. talking about it there because I will eventually cover it when I find another Fringe super fan. And, <laughs> and then the last show that premiered in 2008 is The Real Housewives of Atlanta, which is oh my favorite my. Housewives franchise. Oh, my. See, now, again, the ex watched it all the time, and I would just kind of watch it peripherally. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I 
I only ever loved New York, but right. that's because Bethany's on New York or was on New York. She's not anymore. But yeah. and so, I mean, I'm going to move to the city and she's going to fall in love with me uh, and I'm going to be you guys are both huge foodies. Like, yeah. could you imagine? She'll be my sugar mommy. Like, it, it'll be it'll be glorious. And I would man, I think it was funny because what was it? I think it was like an ad for cameo or something like that. And it was bethany doing it and she was being all nice i was like who would pay money to bethany frankel to have her be nice to you it freaked like, me out when i watched this video she's like you're wonderful <laughs> you're so nice i, I want her to insult angel. me exactly <laughs> i want her to just fucking you dumb drag queen like that's what i need yeah. from bethany that's that's what i need her like sar- don't sardonic yeah. wit that's what i love. that was the only one that i ever really was was drawn to just because i like i don't like some of them like i don't know like I, I think the biggest problem that I have with housewives shows, not to get off on too much of a no, tangent, no, no. Is, will, is how much a of it's like, that I live for. how much of it's manufactured, All like it. in terms of the show. Like I just, I really dislike it. I mean, it's almost, you almost can't watch it as a reality show. It's almost, you have to watch it as acting instead of a reality it's show because it's like all really manufactured. Hills? You remember the hills? I rem- I I never the, watched it, but the, I rem- I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So forever, the hills was touted as a reality show, but then like years later, it came out that it was actually like scripted. Like they had certain plot points that they wanted to hit and talk about, yeah. and then like it wasn't like they wrote down the lines. But this is like this is what's going to happen. Here's how you're going to react. I feel yeah. like Housewives is kind of similar to that. I Not feel so like much it is the too. Production is telling them what to do, but they are all trying to keep their jobs and so they have to have drama and storylines and they cannot be seen as boring so then that's where the feeling of manufactured um, exactly. drama Cause, comes cause in because these motherfuckers would never be in the same room as one another no, ever not at all. with yeah. all of this shit like oh my god they are constantly like it's always something I mean and they're all just most of them don't work I mean some of them do but you know but then they're all just like really really like Petty? this is what happens when you just have a ton of money and you're really bored all the time. Yeah. You know, like you just start fights with other people just because, but yeah, it just, I don't know. Like for me, there's that fine line of like reality television and it being too much of a performance. Cause none of them are like the greatest actors. So they can't no. sell the performance well enough to make it not f- feel fake. You know what I mean? No, but if when, that makes sense. but when you get a situation where people are forced to be in the same room together that really truly don't like each other and they can't help but rip each other's faces off, that is fucking gold. Yeah. Yeah, that's I true. I love that. But still, Bethany is, you know, I mean, seriously, Bethany it's going to happen. Bethany Frankel, we're two stands. <sighs> we love you. If you're ever mm. listening to this, please just call us and insult the shit out of us. We'll we be want. listening to, to it together, she and I, after we make love somewhere, after we get married. <laughs> Because it's going to happen. Wait until you get married to make love? Well, no. <laughs> no. That's fair. All right. Let's be real. She wouldn't be able to keep her hands off anyway. Come on now. Jeez. All right. So the movies that came out in 2008, <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead because I could, I could talk about Bravo and Housewives at infinitum <laughs> or however Dan said I was supposed to pronounce it. Infinitum. Whatever. Forever. And I'm not going to do that. Um, if you want, you can follow me on Twitter and I'll just send you nothing but Bethany reaction gifts. Oh, yeah. You could totally follow me and Nick on Twitter or on Facebook. We just Bethany gif all day. Yeah. We just that's how we have entire conversations sometimes. <laughs> and those are my favorite days. Those are great days. <laughs> um, the movies that came out in 2008 
are quite the fucking dichotomy. So I've got a lot of movies that I really love and a lot of movies that are garbage. So I'm going to give you the movies that I love first. Iron Man that kicked off the Marvel franchise came out in 2008. Great yep. movie. Wally from Disney, a fantastic, almost Wally. silent movie for like three quarters of it. Wally. I have not Love watched Wally. that movie, I don't think, since it came out. It's been a long time. It's been at least 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dark Knight came out in 2008, which is, I think, most people that I know like have The Dark Knight in their top 10 ever of movies. It's a good movie. Pineapple Express, which for me has gotten funnier since I started not smoking weed, but not not smoking weed. <laughs> I think I saw half of it once. Oh, man. Pineapple Express is great. I thought hurricane season was over. Yeah, I can't remember. I honestly don't know when what was happening in my life that I only watched half of it. But I got pulled away from it. I remember that. It wasn't like I shut it off because it was just yeah. I, I got pulled away from it by something and then just never had a chance to go back and finish it or whatever the case may be. So I'm going to go ahead and endorse Pineapple Express. Even if you have never smoked weed, it is still a funny fucking movie. And it's probably the best that Seth Rogen has ever been, in my opinion. Um, and then kind of in that ilk, Role Models, which I'm first, I made Dan watch for the first time within the last year. And it's fucking great. I love Role Models. Paul Rudd at his finest. <laughs> Being a Ben Affleck wannabe snarky asshole. LOL, LOL. Have you seen Role Models? I have never okay. seen it, no. There's a, so Nick and Dan are in similar ilk where they have not seen a lot of movies that I really love. I'm not going to tell you you have to watch it because I know you have a list of like 200 movies that you need to get to. But if it's oh my ever God. on... 200. 200 would be a dream if that were that list. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> okay, so the shit movies that came out that year, The Ruins, I don't even know who I that stars. I have never seen but it's, that. Basically, it's like... um. I guess you could call it a horror movie where they like this group of kids is out hiking and they accidentally cross over like this boundary they're not supposed to and check out this temple that's like sacred and then they're forced to stay there and the vines start attacking them and killing them. It's really bad. Beverly Hills Chihuahua came out that year. (laughs) As did the first Twilight movie and Indiana (sighs) Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. (sighs) Straight fucking garbage movies. The songs that were big that year. Um, I don't know if you'll know too many of these. Low by Flo Rida and T-Pain. Oh, yeah. Yep. Them apple bottom jeans. That mm-hmm. one. I accidentally went to work. the Like when I first moved here, I walked my dog in like my fur lined boots outside and then forgot to change out of them before work. So all day people sang that song at me. She got them apple bottom jeans and the boots with the fur. <laughs> oh my god! It was amazing. Uh, Bleeding Love by Leona Lewis was huge that year, so much that I don't want to sing it because I don't need to hear it again. Do you remember it? Nope. Fuck you. The next song is "Forever" by Chris Brown, known women assaulter beater. Uh, I like the song. It was featured in The Office. That was the song that they did like when Jim and Pam were getting married and like all yep. of the characters. So I like, get that song holds a warm feeling in my heart for that reason only. But Chris Brown is a scumbag. Jim and Pam's wedding is unbelievably I good. I cry every time. Oh my God. Oh, I'm going to cry now. Don't make me talk about it. No. Okay. So instead we'll skip ahead to 
<laughs> some kind of memorable moments from 2008. I kind of just want to point out, really, that the writer's strike was going on at this point, and it kind of killed a lot of TV programs and like ruined their stories. Heroes being the one that comes to mind. R.I.P. Heroes. R.I.P. Heroes for sure. Because, I mean, some shows handled that writer's strike really well. Some shows did not. Yeah. No, Heroes, heroes shit the bed. Did it not. was so good. So that sucks. Um, it is interesting to think about that this show probably had the market, at least for the first season, on great writing and great character development. Because season one is probably the slowest. I mean, definitely the slowest of all the seasons. But with there not being too much else on TV, it definitely hooked a lot of people in. Mm-hmm. All their news, Britney Spears had her final meltdown before being diagnosed with bipolar disorder in which she locked herself in a room with her young son. Um, we also that year lost Heath Ledger. Rest in peace, you fucking mm-hmm. angel. Charlton Heston, Brad Renfro, goddamn Bernie Mac, and Eartha Kitt. God, I love Bernie Mac. Who doesn't love Bernie Mac? <sighs> um, all right, let's go ahead and talk real quick about Breaking Bad in general before we get into the series discussion. So it ran from 2008 to 2013, five seasons, 62 episodes, written by the fucking super genius Vince Gilligan. Oh. It's got a 9.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Which seems low. <laughs> yeah, it does seem I mean, a little low, but I mean, there's... I get it, though. I get it. There's, there's some one episode in the series that is bad. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of it i have to assume some of that rating comes from people who what the hell ryan johnson why are you always such a magnet for controversy damn it i assume everybody's watched this but the summary is a high school chemistry teacher diagnosed with inoperable lung cancer turns to manufacturing and selling methamphetamine to secure his family's future starring brian cranston aaron paul anna gunn betsy brandt dean norris R.G. Mitty, I have to think it is. Yep. And then featuring Bob Odenkirk, Jonathan Banks, Giancarlo Esposito, and Stephen Michael Cazeta. Sorry, Gomez, if I Gomi, if I pronounced that wrong. I think uh, that's right. Poor Gomi. Sorry, Gomi. At least he got a nod. I didn't have to include him. <laughs> poor Gomi. I love him. Ugh. <sighs> All right. So let's see. You said earlier, how do we want to fuck this pig? Oh, my Let's, Lord. I don't even... Oof. Who are, who are some of your favorite characters? <sighs> why? <laughs> so I... Oh, my God. I can't just say the whole cast, right? Because, okay. No. I'll start off. No. So I like the comic relief because in a show that's this dark, I need a little bit of levity to help me deal with this. So Saul is... My, by far and away, one of my favorite characters. I'm a lawyer. Even drug dealers need lawyers, right? Especially drug dealers. You two suck at peddling meth. Clearly, his taste in women is the same as his taste in lawyers. Only the very best with just the right amount of dirty. There's no honor among thieves. Except for us, of course. <laughs> you two want to go stick your wangs in a hornet's nest. It's a free country, but how come I always got to get sloppy seconds, huh? And then goes up to the penitentiary and gets his rectum resized about yay big. No deal, no dice. Shot at and missed, shit on and hit. You ever hear the expression of fart in the wind, kid? Au revoir. Auf Wiedersehen. Hasta luego. Get the hell out. Bye bye. Can't say it's been a pleasure. I need you to do one more thing for me. 
Yeah, you do have a little shit creek action happening. And we don't get enough. I think it's perfect how much they use him. He's used very sparingly. I think I remarked that to you. Wasn't it when we did El Camino? Yeah, when we did El Camino, like when I did the rewatch of this series, it surprised me just because Better Call Saul is a thing and you're used to seeing him in the lead role of his own series. Like, I I think I forgot how little Saul is actually in Breaking Bad. Like, they, it, you're right. It's just a dusting of him. But every time Bob Odenkirk comes on the screen, it is solid, solid gold. He, he is just embodies that character. And it took me a couple. That's like, why Little Women little was so weird for Saul me. Goodman. Little Women? Was he in Little Women? He was in Little Women. It's like, it's a period movie. And all of a sudden he shows up. I'm like, what the fuck is Bob Odenkirk doing in this movie? And I love him. And he was good in it. He's one of those actors that I'm, he's so associated with this character of Saul Goodman to me that I was just like, wait a minute. What? Well, speaking of being associated with a role, Walt, a.k.a. Brian Cranston, was so associated with his role in Malcolm in the Middle before this that nobody really trusted him to take on a role with this kind of depth to it because he was always lighthearted and like just like that doofy father. And then he mm-hmm. comes in and fucking blows everybody away with this character. I think I remember reading somewhere along the way that the studio wanted Gilligan to to try out other actors. Yeah. For the role, but Gilligan, uh, Gilligan knew him from working on the X Files and yeah. all, other different things. Like Gilligan wanted him like something fierce, and I think the producers were like, "No, do this person or that person," because of what you said. Because they were just like, "No, he's you know he's you know the funny guy, and, and he's great." And Malcolm in the Middle too. He's so good. I love Hal. Oh my god, I love Hal. I but, think I've yeah. only seen like part of one episode of Malcolm in the Middle. But I mean, used to, isn't he always like in his underwear or whatever in that show also? Half of the time he's in his underwear and he's really kind of aloof and absent minded and really he's he's just such an oddball like out there character. And it's I mean, Jane Kaczmarek is really like the 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 one who wears the pants in that relationship. And then she's like really the one that's like keeps the family in line and keeps the family moving forward. Like he's like kind of a not a screw up. I won't say he's a screw up, but he's. Like, like I said, he's very aloof and he's very just absent mind. He's he's just out there. I mean, that reminds me a little bit. He's like a of really in- fun dad. Kind it reminds of. me a little bit of the initial setup with Skylar being the woman who wears the pants in the relationship, and Walt being yes a genius, but also being constantly undermined by everybody else yeah. in his family. So it's kind of like that. It's almost somebody at some point I think was like, this is in the canon of Malcolm in the middle is his like his second wife or whatever, after he gets divorced from Jane Kaczmarek. And like, this is where his characters turn to the epilogue that they shot the, the fake epilogue that they shot for this after it was over of like, it was all a dream a la, you know, Bob Newhart where he wakes up in bed with Lois and he's like, Oh my God, I had this dream that I was a meth. <laughs> That's maybe where I heard. Okay. That is the it's so if, I mean, if, if if you're somebody who loved Malcolm in the middle, especially like it's going to play a lot better for you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's hilarious because, yeah, they did that at the end of season five. They shot that thing just for like the Blu-ray release or just for like a special thing. They got Jane Kismeric to come in and do it where he wakes up as Hal and Malcolm in the middle is like, oh, my God, I had this dream that I was this meth dealer and I had cancer and all this stuff. And she's like laughing at him because it's so stupid. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. It's, it, it's like a it's like a couple minute short click 
if you haven't seen it, find it on YouTube. It's it's absolutely hilarious. But I think it would probably be one of those things that would play better for you if you were Malcolm in the Middle fan. It's just one of those Malcolm in the Middle like fan things where you see Jane Kaczmarek back there with him and you're just like, ah. You just nerd out. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, What do you love about this show? We'll start super general and broad. <sighs> Can we talk about the sheer genius of Aaron Paul for well for the for the rest of this episode obviously but like when you watch him in this show especially in like the first season because I mean initially it was Gilligan's plan this character was not supposed to stick around for the long haul I didn't know that yeah he wasn't supposed to stick around they were supposed to get rid of him I think he was supposed to die early in season two and it was actually the writer's strike I believe that kept uh, all of a sudden because of how good Aaron Paul was in the role they decided to keep him on board. Could you imagine the back run? Like, imagine seasons two through five without Jesse. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Because so much of this show, and I mean, I think it goes to the performances of Cranston and Paul together and like kind of what they give each other as actors, but also that father-son relationship between Walt and Jesse, that really fucked up father-son relationship where Jesse just needs some kind of father figure in his life and he picks absolutely the worst possible one yeah <laughs> like, the just... absolute worst like yeah. walt is the fucking devil and he is a master yeah. manipulator he is just as evil as the, it can possibly be imagined mm-hmm. and, but he does it all under the guise of love for his family and like wanting to do the right thing but he's convinced himself in his head that the ends justify the means and however he has to get there is totally justifiable. It's all fine. Like he fucking does such a number on his family who he claims to love, puts them through so much, tortures Mm -hmm. them emotionally, is never there for them. And just like, even when he has to like cover up whatever's happened and tell a lie, like the fugue state, for instance, Mm -hmm. disappearing on his family for days on end, claiming to have no memory, just the torture he puts them through and doesn't even give them the dignity of telling them any partial truth. You know what the, the great thing about it is, is you, you mentioned that he convinces himself in his head. And I think this is old territory for anybody that's talked about or reviewed the show by this point, but he convinces the audience of that too, yeah. especially the first time through this series. And even on a rewatch, like it's, it's weird rewatching this show and knowing how of a monster Walter White is by the time you get through this entire series knowing how terrible the character is even on a rewatch you still side with him and you still understand him from a character perspective and that is fucking that's the brilliance of that writing from Vince Gilligan and the performance from Brian Cranston that's why he won four fucking Emmys for playing this role four and that's that's why because it's so It's brilliant. I mean, it's uh, literally, there's no other word to describe it except just straight up brilliant because even though you hate and like you detest that this character makes some horrible, horrible decisions, some horrible, horrible choices, like, oh my God. But the fact that you still have even a pang of sympathy for him at any given time or that is, I mean, and I'm, I'm not this way as much necessarily. I don't know where you fall for it necessarily. I think, well, I kind of do, but like a lot of audience members as a reactionary kind of thing, take it out on the other characters in the show for not agreeing with Walt or siding with Walt more. 
No, I don't feel that. I I I don't like I don't like Skylar. Skylar's one of my least favorite characters, but she's also been a ball buster before any of this happened. Like in the first episode, it's Walt's birthday, and she's giving him that fucking pathetic hand job while she's watching her auction end. Like she's just a shrew. Mm-hmm. So I don't have I don't take it out on her for not siding with Walt, but I'd never liked her. So it's just, that's how I feel about that character. I don't know if they necessarily ever had like the best marriage. No. And they it's never really think redeemed about... her either. Like she's never yeah. redeemed as like a good person. She's always, especially even after she finds out about Walt's business and she punishes him, everybody takes it out on her. Like, Oh, you're being mean to him. He's a nice guy. She still never does the right thing and does what needs to be done. She like, enables him to a certain degree and then walt jr is punished by like basically in the like ozymandias he's like well if you were lying all this time how can i even trust you now so she's alienated herself from everybody yeah. else he makes that point in that episode too where he's like you're just as bad as him and it, yeah, yeah yeah she and i mean you, th- you think about a lot of the choices even that her character makes like the affair that she has with benicky i think that him making all the wrong choices and it, again it's it goes back to the brilliance of gilligan's writing and the interplay the the chemistry that cranston and gunn have as actors and how they worked together i think it's great to watch walt make the wrong decisions walt make the wrong choices and then skyler as a reaction to those makes the wrong choices too right you it's know and very much it's, like two wrongs trying to make a right yeah. but she just wants to like get back at him or punish him Instead mm-hmm. of being an adult and dealing with the situation in a mature way, she just tries to make him feel bad, which yeah. he never will. This is a very tragic show, which is why I love it because I love my tragedy. But like this is like all these characters in the show are just incredibly, incredibly tragic. They're well, doomed from the start. It's kind of, of like in Game of Thrones, which I never finished watching, but you start out watching and you have all this hope and you know, you're like, okay, all this good stuff's going to happen. And even knowing it on a rewatch, you know how everything's going to, the chips are going to fall. You still mm-hmm. like feel that hope, even though you know it's not going to work out. You're like maybe this time. Yeah. But it just Remember when Marie was a klepto? Yes, I was just watching that. So I actually... <laughs> In Ozymandias, when Marie comes to Skylar and she's like, listen, Walt's been arrested. This is what you need to do. It's kind of interesting because this entire time up in the entire series, Skylar's kind of like, I guess, made herself feel like she's better than Marie or she like lords things over her. Like when she was a klepto, she refused to call her back. Oh, she does it all the time. Yeah, so now Skylar's in this place where like she is the piece of shit in the room and somebody's Mm going to finally like lord it over her. But even then, Marie's like, we're going to support you through this. We're going to have your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Skylar's such a cunt. <laughs> I'd see. I, 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 I dislike a lot of the character's choices, but I still ultimately love the character. And I think that's just, I think that is me translating that more from my love of the entire series overall. Every single person in this show, every single character every single actor that walks through this world they all add something to it that it wouldn't work and it wouldn't be the same like you can't have if you think about it like you you couldn't have a a breaking bad where you have a skyler who is like super supportive and gung-ho of walt from the get-go no you know it wouldn't work it just the show just would not be the same it just wouldn't work and i think that 
what you have to do when you watch the show is you have to understand Walt's stakes. You have to understand, okay, he's got terminal cancer and he wants to secure this future for his family. And then, you know, you've got pregnant wife, you've got son with cerebral palsy. You have to make that family endearing enough that you as an audience member kind of, even though he does the shittiest, shittiest things possible, you still understand what he's risking it for. And you're still tied to that family. And I think, as dysfunctional as they are and as annoying as they can be at times and as bad at the choices that they make, you still love that family. Like you still are like, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. That again, that's the genius of Vince Gilligan. That it, simple as that. <laughs> I feel like this show works by painting its characters into corners and then watching how they react and how they kind of manipulate their way out of a bad situation. Yep. And it goes from one shit show to another. Like they start off, they start off trying to do it on their own, and then they end up accidentally killing Emilio and mortally wounding. We hoped Crazy Eight, and that's how the show fucking starts off. Like fuck, we've got two people mm-hmm. we have to deal with. So actually, I have a quick would you rather that I thought of. Would you rather? have to dispose of Amelia's body or have to be the one to kill crazy eight. Oh, son of a fuck. I know it. I, I have not even, I'll tell you, I have not come up with an answer mm. myself. Cause I, those are both terrible. I mean, if I'm put in that situation, like Walt knows because he sees the broken plate and everything. And he knows the piece of the broken plate is missing. So he knows, I mean, obviously they've done everything. They've kidnapped him and everything. But they know, like, he knows that he's going to kill him. So, like, if I'm in that situation, like, I can see that. Like, I mean, again, I won't say it anymore, I promise. But the genius of Vince Gilligan, it makes you understand how Walt, somebody who's just been a meek nobody his whole life. I mean, genius, yes. Gray matter technologies, yes. All that. But, like, never, ever in a million years would have done anything like this. But now, because he's crossed this line, he's stepped into this world, whatever, but yeah, I I so I can get on board with that and I can understand that. I am not like and there are other bodies like when they got to do it like it the funny thing about this show is is it almost becomes kind of a, a casual thing later. Yeah, it becomes like, more routine with Yeah, okay, like time they're just to bust out cut the acid. to a shot. Yeah, of them finishing up throwing somebody into a barrel with some chemicals. Like it just becomes like and it's it's one of the greatest things about this show is how just disturbingly commonplace that becomes to where even as a viewer, you're just like, oh, yeah, they're just, yeah, of course, they've got to dissolve that guy in a barrel full of acid and, you know, get him out of it. Oh, never, ever sign me up for that. No. Oh, that's just uh, especially destroying the bathtub. Oh, Man. God. OK, so I watched that episode was actually on because they were doing on AMC like a a countdown to premiering El Camino. So I oh, happened yeah. to catch, it was the second episode, Cats in the Bag. Mm-hmm. And the fucking, they, they do such a nice job, especially with this first body melt, where they keep showing flashbacks to him. And I want to say, what's her name? Gretchen? And they're yep. like talking about the composition of the body. Like it's, you know, 30% calcium, whatever. And they're doing the full like elemental breakdown of everything that's in the body as they're melting this fucking body and seeing everything dissolve. And it's fucking creepy as shit. And I love it. (laughs) I love it. Never side me up for that. Never. never. So I guess you're going to kill. I'm definitely killing crazy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just because I, I... I mean, like, ever since watching this show, I can't walk down a aisle of storage bins without thinking about putting... Right? <laughs> it's totally uh. fucked up my storage shopping needs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so what are some of your favorite episodes that come to mind? Like, when you think Breaking Bad perfect episode i mean most of them are perfect but ones that you immediately like want to tell people about i'm, I'm gonna just pick different episodes through each season because it's too it's too easy for me to just say ozymandias right that's a perfect episode and that's at the crux of everything it's too that easy built up to like this is when shit's going down yeah it's it's too easy to say ozymandias because it is and and a lot of people said it at the time and whatever but it is the most amazing hour of television drama ever written. I firmly believe that. And and just the way that it's written and just the way that it's made, yes. But it's because, like you said, it's the crescendo. It is where everything finally culminates. Everything finally erupts. Walt's whole empire basically collapses in front of him like a house of cards. Everything comes at like it. Oh, my God. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but... This show always did season finales, I think, really, really well, or at least close. Yeah, two of my, I have like five favorite episodes, one of them being Ozymandias. Two of the other ones are the season three and season four finale, because they are just Mm -hmm. so tense, so tense. Like the season three finale, Full Measure, comes, basically, you've got Aaron, or sorry, not Aaron Paul. What's his fucking name? Jesse. He wants to take out the other half of Gus's gang that's using kids to sell drugs. And in the Mm -hmm. one before the finale, he's going to kill these guys against Gus's wishes. And Walt shows up and fucking plows him over with the car. So now in the finale. Absolutely. One of like, I mean, literally like even thinking about it now, but even on a rewatch, like the show had always done like a bunch of different things. And, like whenever Walt had to kill somebody, it was always more in self defense. It was always in self interest. It was yeah, always it w- to cover his own ass and make sure that he was going to yeah. be able to continue along his path. But it was never just straight up for like, anybody else murder, and it was never straight up for anybody else. Like you know what I mean? Like it was never that. But then, like when that happens, like when that moment happens, it's. I mean, it's just. I mean, number one. It's a really touching moment between Jesse and Walt because Jesse, I mean, this is the season after Jane dies, which is also one of like the hardest episodes to fucking watch. Like, it's so, so heartbreaking, ugh, so heartbreaking. And then, of course, that leads to the plane crash in the season two finale. Oh. But it's such a great moment between Jesse and Walt because this is what Walt does. Like Walt whips Jesse like an abused dog, like he whips him and he whips him and he whips him. And, you know, there are just those, those times when, when Jesse is just fed up and Jesse, they're fighting each other and they have a number of different rows throughout the series. But then Walt does stuff like this and it's stuff like this that ultimately it gets in Jesse's head and it keeps Jesse on Walt's side. It's almost like an abusive relationship when oh, it really is. This the partner that's beating the shit out of you then does like some sweeping romantic gesture exactly. to keep you on the hook. Mm-hmm. So like that's yeah. that. 
But then in the finale, you've got Gus coming after them. They send Jesse into hiding, and they have the whole laser tag thing, which I think is great where Jesse's not actually left um, Albuquerque. He's, like, hiding in the laser tag place. And then Walt is captured by Mike, and they're going to shoot him because they've got Gail who can, like, form make Walt's formula. But mm-hmm. then he sends Jesse to fucking go kill Gail. And as soon as fucking the look on Mike's face when Walt says Gail's address, it's, like, whatever, like, something Glenn Tababo Lane or whatever it is. Yep. And like the look on Mike's face and they go rush to try to get him. And then fucking Jesse has to shoot Gail like straight in the fucking head. Like it is so emotional. Aaron, just Aaron Paul. Just like, I mean, just seriously. Aaron Paul runs the gambit of emotion throughout this whole fucking show. Like his performance in that episode, like you see the conflict that is like ripping him apart in 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 that episode that's why yeah that episode would definitely rank very high amongst my favorite episodes i just absolutely adore it um i mentioned season two when jane dies like i mean i talk about like just amazing performance pieces like that when you think about how much of a piece of shit walter white is and how much of an asshole he is like the fact that he stands there and watches her die like, I mean, she's trying to blackmail him. So, I mean, you, like, you understand it from that perspective, but, like, holy shit. What a fucking devil. Oh, what a piece of shit. I guess, when was it that, was this before or after they start going into business with Gus is when Jane dies? I can't remember. That was, see, I, I don't think Gus had been mentioned by name at that point, but that's when he's trying to go to the house because all their product is at Jesse's right. house. And then he want, he needs to drop it off while Skylar's in labor to get it to Gus's yeah, Exactly. Right. Which, I mean, th- think about like that. Yeah, Skylar's in labor having the baby and he's trying to... Actually, I think that was right after he met Gus or right after he found out about Gus and sold like all of their product to Gus because Gus had the distribution network to be able to move the amount of meth that they had made because they made too much to move on a street level like they needed a bigger distribution network for it so yeah so that was like all tying into that and that's where giancarlo esposito comes in who is amazing in this show oh my god (sighs) so i knew him well i saw him first in this but then he was in the show called once upon a time which is like a fairy tale type show Mm -hmm. and he plays like the mirror on the wall and the wicked queen is like treats him like a whipping boy the whole time so he's like a little bitch that Mm -hmm. was fucking weird to watch (laughs) I was like, why didn't he just rip her fucking face off? This is ridiculous. Oh, my God. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, let's see. So I'm just I'm looking through episode lists as I as I kind of go through everything. While we but, are looking at that, one of the most tense episodes to me is one minute. It's the episode where Hank gets the call towards the end of the episode that he's got one minute to live. Basically, that oh, people are coming yeah. after him. That shit. And then the whole fucking battle slash shootout that happens in that parking lot is intense oh, the cousins fuck. how fucking badass yes. are the cousins those those guys and then freaking uh hector salamanca is like one of the most giant pieces of shit like when he goes to the dea and then takes a shit in his own pants in the fucking <laughs> interrogation room yeah, is amazing. yeah yeah <laughs> amazing and he keeps spelling out like fuck you or whatever to them on his little tablet <laughs> he's a badass old school fucking cartel boss 
Yeah, that that was I, that's a great segue into another one of my favorite episodes, which I love the episodes that kind of fill out backstory for this world and kind of give us more things. But I love the episode uh, Salute. It's in season four when Gus basically kills Donovadio mm-hmm. and the entire cartel and basically takes over everything. Everything. Like literally Gus, like Gus has been kind of flexing his muscle and kind of taking and assuming more power throughout season three and into season four as he's kind of trying to deal with this renegade wall, which we can also talk about. But I love that, you know, season four, I think, is one of the best seasons because it's not as Walt centric as most of the other seasons are. I mean, it's definitely got Walt as a key player, but it takes a lot of time to fill out a lot of the rest of the world. Yeah, like you get flashbacks to, I think, like one of the episodes is Los Hermanos, and it shows Gus and his original partner going to like pitch their product to Hector Salamanca and Don Eladio, and then what happens with that. Like, And you just kind of see like where Gus used to have more... I guess more where he would give a shit about other people and then the person he gave a shit about ended up fucking dead in the pool. So like Mm -hmm. he kind of closed the fucking wall and now he's become this psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my Lord. And I mean, I think that ends like season four ends perfectly. I will say, I think the cat and mouse game goes on maybe a little bit too long because there, there comes to be a point when it's like, no matter how valuable Walt is to your business. You would not keep that person around. Yeah. yeah. At some point, there's there's got to be, because you've got Jesse, you know, who, I mean, you know, for all, we'll, we'll, we'll make it as simple as we can, but Jesse's malleable, okay? Yeah. And Gus knows it. Walt knows it. Like, everybody knows that Jesse's a malleable, like, character. Like, you can get him, and, like, he spends all that time, like, all those character Uh, interactions and all that character building with Mike in season Mm -hmm. four. Like they go on their runs and everything, which how great is Mike is uh, the father figure that Jesse needed. Jonathan Banks is just he's my other favorite character. I love, love, love him. And I feel like it's probably bled over my love for Saul and Mike is bled over from the fact that I've seen better call Saul and those characters are more filled out. But I, I like there's one scene with Mike and it's actually I think it's in one of my favorite episodes, I don't remember which one, I think it's Face Off. It's when Mike is going, because like Chow is being held hostage, and so Mike's going into Chow's headquarters, and he's like taking out the different assailants one by one, yep. and like he like holds his finger to the wall, because there's a guy on the other side, and Chow nods his head up, and he moves the gun up and shoots the guy through the wall. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And he throws oh. out the chick's shoe or whatever, and the other guy comes running down the hall. Like Mike is older than dirt. But he is still so Such fucking a gangster. He's so oh, smart. He knows everything. Like he's just amazing. I yeah, love we, Mike uh, Trout. and he oh, has I so love much him. love for his people. Like when his nine people are in lockup and he refuses to fucking kill him, and he goes back into business with the devil Walt in order to keep paying oh, these guys their God. their hush money, their hazard pay. Like he's just. He's got the right motivations. He's in the wrong business, but he's kind of always been tied to the underbelly. But he's doing it for actually the right reasons, unlike Walt, who's doing them for his own twisted, fucking warped sense of justice. Yeah. Oh, I just... You think about pride in in this show and how much pride infects all of these characters and how much pride costs 
all of these characters in the show, especially, I mean, like you think about Walt, like you think about how many times Walt could have walked away and ne- and been fine and had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars and been fine. But he gets so intoxicated by the power that this affords him that he can't get away from it. And I mean, Mike, Mike is not Mike is similar in that way, but Mike's even more tragic because Mike loves his granddaughter more than anything else and just wants to make sure she's taken care of. And it's great that we especially get to see more of that fleshed out in Better Call Saul because we see, you know, what happens to his son and everything. But then every time Mike has that nest egg, every time Mike has money, it gets taken away. Every time he tries to put money away for his granddaughter, it gets snatched away. So Mike is almost this character. Like, what else is Mike going to do, really? I mean, let's be honest. But, like... He's this character who you you know like if he could get to a point where he could get out he would. Well, Walt without is question book smart more than he is street smart. Yes, he gets yeah. more street smart as it goes on, but Mike is infinitely more street smart than Walt is. He knows oh, yeah. when to leave. He knows when to lay his hand down, but he keeps getting fucked over in a real way where Walt is just a greedy motherfucker. Like even in some of the first episodes, you were talking about Walt's pride. Mar- or not Marie, Skylar's like getting him in with the best oncologist. And he's like, she's like, we can borrow from your mom. We can ask for Hank for money. He's like, no, no, we're not going to do that. Like he just refuses to ask. It's his pride. His loved ones for- it's his pride. Rejecting the money from gray matter. Like that's yes. the, the, the whole impetus of him starting to cook meth in the first place is to be able to secure their future. But like Gretchen and Elliot would have paid for all of his medical treatments. Like he would have been completely he never would have had to do any of that he stuff. He never had to do any of this ever. period if he had just fucking been adult enough to ask for help. But his pride is his hubris is his downfall at every uh, fucking turn. And then you talked about face off, which is can we talk about obviously, the, end, the end of that episode uh, when Gus comes out and straightens his tie and it shows the one side of his face. I was like, this <laughs> motherfucker did it again. How is he still alive? How? And then it uh, pans to the other side of his face, and it's just amazing. Uh, I think that I think that episode for me, that episode probably has the single or one of the single greatest moments in the in the series for me is just the very very ending of the episode after Gus is dead, after Walt says I've won, and then you zoom in on the lily of the valley flower in Walt's backyard and you realize that Walt's the one that poisoned Brock and Walt like orchestrated this entire thing like to, to get Jesse on his Jesse. side oh like whole, that like there are moments in the show and like he kills people he you know mutilates dead bodies and dissolves them in acid and like sells meth and like all the things but like those are the moments when it's like holy fuck do I hate Walt so much like with such a fiery passion like it's one of those moments like when they zoom in on the flower like your jaw just kind of slowly falls open you're just like no what a piece of shit but also the other side of you or side of me at least has admiration for how many fucking steps ahead he's thinking and how fucking how resourceful he is so resourceful he's got that shit he knows how to play everybody around him to get him to do what he needs him to do and yes, I hate him, but he is a smart motherfucker. 
He really, really is. But I mean, again, it's it's his own pride that undoes him. I mean, if you remember back in the, it's somewhere in season four, but Hank pretty much thinks they've got everything buttoned up with, you know, Gail was the cook. OK, we've got everything buttoned up and, and Walt's like drunk and they're having a dinner or whatever. And he's like, oh, maybe maybe Heisenberg's still out there. Maybe you didn't catch him or whatever. But it's because just, he can't like, let anybody else take credit for his. Exactly. Work. He can't like he has to be the one it's just like oh my god and that's Uh. ultimately his downfall so do we have to talk about season five now i think we have to yeah so i've been avoiding favorite episodes outside of season five for a reason because go ahead talk about let's season five well the second half of season five birthday so let me just say real quick yeah seasons one through four all take place in less than a year which is crazy it's crazy to think like because it's so much time has passed in our real time but like glee did the i think the third and the fourth season were both split for senior year and it just felt so long and drawn out and it was just Mm -hmm. too long breaking bad takes place in this such a short span of time but it all makes sense like he's been on this fucking crazy ride Mm -hmm. and then it just gets even nuttier yeah i i love the first half of season five i'm not gonna say that i dislike it i love him finding a way to figure out how to cook again and and you know they partner with lydia who might what a psycho <laughs> holy shit oh my god todd jesse plemons that's <laughs> damon is brought into the cast like oh my yeah so they, they bring Lord. in like they had like basically as good as it could get with that meth super lab in the laundromat so how are they going to be able to to top that or to work around after they've had that. And then they start like tenting houses and cooking yeah. meth and those, and they bring in the Nazis for that. And that was a big fuck up. Yeah. That was a huge fuck up. And then you, you, you just get to this point, you get through the first half of season five where Walt, I mean, again, I mean, you're talking, Walt is like literally a kingpin at this point. Like he orchestrates the hit on all of Mike's guys in prison at the same exact time. So all the people get killed. He kills Mike, which God fucking damn it, Walter. Like it, it just, it's and it amazing. It didn't have to happen. And when Walt realizes it didn't have to happen after it's already too late and he tries to go and apologize to Mike and Mike's like, just let me fucking die. And shut the fuck up and let me. Yeah. Like that's like the perfect like ending line for that character to just shut the fuck up, Walter. Like that's all he's been saying literally the whole time he's been in Breaking Bad is Walter, shut the fuck up or, or some variation yeah. thereof because he hates Walt and he knows what Walt is and he can't convince anybody else of it. Like it's not his place with Gus because he's not. He on that level with what he, he knows, knows his like, place but he knows what walter is he knows and he's unfortunately tied to this as well like he's stuck to it as well but you get to this point and you get probably literally one of the most perfect moments in the history of television where he's stopped he's done they've got their money and everything and then they have a party and hank goes to the bathroom and finds the book on the back of the toilet and just that shot of him, like it's ingrained in my memory forever, like that forever. shot of the look on Hank's face as he lowers the book. And you have that quick flashback of him jokingly saying like, oh, 
Walter White, like whatever about whatever. And that look of realization that comes over Hank's face as he realizes that Walt is the one he's been looking for the whole fucking time is literally as perfect as television has or will ever be. And then they did the mid-season finale where you had to wait for the rest of the fucking second half of the season for like a couple months. You're just left with that fucking cliffhanger. Oh, (sighs) And all the work that they've done on character development up until now, like you understand exactly how frustrating that is and how disappointing that is and how angering that is for Hank to have that's it what right it's all been for this whole fucking time yes. mocking him and just fucking getting away with it and using him for information into how to like like and then he had the bug in his office which Hank never knew about but like just realizing what a pawn he's been this entire time oh yeah oh. like and then like once you get to the back half like Number one, the popularity of this show, and I, I don't think we've stressed it enough, but the popularity of this show, like, it was always very, very well acclaimed. Like I said, uh, Brian Cranston won a legitimate truckload full of Emmys for his performance as this character. Aaron Paul won three, I believe. Anna Gunn won two. It won Best Series uh, at least a couple of times. I don't know exactly how many. It just got showered in awards, but it was never, like, this amazing rating sensation. Like, it wasn't this huge blow up hit smash hit whatever but after the first half of season five it hits streaming and people start to catch on with this show and like it's really funny because i have the numbers in front of me just for season five now like the season five part one finale uh you know the end of the first part only had a viewer share of about 2.78 million viewers Mm -hmm. the part two premiere which was a year later, believe it or not. Oh, Holy was it shit. a year later? It was a year later. Oh, that's uh, evil. September to August, September 2012, and then August 2013 is when it started again. Almost 6 million people. So the audience Holy more than shit. doubled from the previous thing. But when, because this is when I found this show as well. This is when I got into the show. I never knew about it. And people had told me to check it out. People had told me to check it out. I never caught it until it was on streaming. I watched the entire series like I was one of those people and I know a lot of people are like this, but I binged all of Breaking Bad in that break in between September 2012 and August 2013. And then I watched all of those episodes when they came out, when the last part of that season premiered. And like you're talking like the finale, Felina, the finale of the series over 10 million people. Holy sh- I guess that year break in between the half seasons was brilliant then. Yeah, because that's when all of a sudden, like, and there's a graph. I forget where I saw the graph, but there's like a viewership graph. If you look at a graph of the viewership of the series, it's a very, very sharp spike on season five, part two. Like this show, like in that year break in season five, like all of a sudden that's when everybody discovered the show and it erupted. Just absolutely erupted. Yeah, it's I mean, it's 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 crazy to think about, but like every single episode Every episode in that back half of season five is a culmination of of everything, like you said before, of everything character-wise that we have been leading up to, all of these different character dynamics that we've come to trust at this point. Like, we are 50-plus episodes in here. We love these characters. We adore these characters. Even when we hate them, even when we want to strangle them, we still love them. And then all of this stuff comes to a head. You get you get at the end of Blood Money where, you know, Walt or Hank closes that garage door and Ugh. you just... 
the tension of that garage door just slowly lowering down as they just stare at each other and then he just decks him and grabs yeah. him and like lays it all and on the table everything that we've wanted to do this whole time yes oh my god and then you have that moment where walt at first walt tries to be like family man walt and be like no 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 i don't know what's going on i don't know you're like you're talking crazy talk or whatever but then heisenberg kicks in a little bit and he's that like hubris kicks in and he can't yeah. let himself be kicked anymore if you don't if you really don't know who you're looking at then you should tread lightly like just like holy like like at first like walt's like no 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 i can still try to get out of this and he's like no okay we're gonna play this game okay and like he like he feels untouchable at this point like yeah. he feels like he cannot be stopped at this point and it's well i mean you think it's about crazy how many people he's taken down on his rise to the top and he's tried to avoid involving his loved ones and he really does love hank but not enough for him to step down or to do the right thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely not. Oh, he my will God. never fucking give up. <sighs> Which is evidence in the rest of the second half of the season. Like when Jesse, I guess, gets caught by Hank or whatever, and they do the whole like fake murder thing and they lure Walt out to his money in the desert is the only mm-hmm. time that Walt's ever been really, truly outsmarted in the series. Really, it is. And it was that was the one time that was all that was all that they needed, because that's what that's what ends up leading to all of the action coming to a head in Ozymandias. But that like before we even like get to that, like you have that moment where Jesse's going to skip town, like they're going to get rid of Jesse. Jesse's yep. going to go and he's going to he's going to get out. He's going to go with the cleaner guy. But then. He realizes when he gets back to, you know, and he's waiting there on the side of the road, he realizes like all of a sudden when he can't find his weed, it connects everything in his mind to him that Huel was the one that stole the rice and cigarette. And like, I mean, again, to talk about how great Aaron Paul is like the anger and the frustration and the rage when he breaks into the White's house and just starts dousing it with gasoline and everything. And like. Like when Hank confronts him and he just has that breakdown and he screams, he can't keep getting away with this. It's like, that's for me, especially as a viewer, especially rewatching this series, that is exactly how I feel as a viewer. Like, like at this point, especially Walt has done so many horrible and reprehensible things. He like, he literally like you're as exasperated as Jesse at that point. You're like, please, for the love of God, stop this fucking monster. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like, uh, just again, Aaron Paul, just in. I don't like. I I don't. I'm not an actor, and like, I I I can't even imagine what it's like to be an actor and to be somebody who's on a set on. The, like, imagine being there on the set on that day when Jesse does that. That's a lot. That's a, emotionally and physically. Like, I'm looking at me laying on my couch or my bed or whatever and watching this, I'm like, man, getting up and like throwing out gasoline, that's a lot of energy. Like, ugh, <laughs> to even be that mad at somebody to even go to their house, like, <laughs> fuck that. And then to do all that and like give all that emotionally is just like, you've got to be at your breaking point, at your wit's fucking end. And he is, he's just, mm-hmm. he's done. And so then Hank shows up when he is completely broken and it's like, let's fucking end him. Let's take him down. 
And yeah. so like that's Jesse's lifeline. He's like, finally let's end this monster. And that fucking gets shit on too because Jesse can't have anything pretty. Oh my like, poor fucking yeah. Jesse. Oh my I god. Feel, uh, so well let's not co- completely gloss over that Jesse's not an angel because he ends up dealing no. to fucking narcotics anonymous. Like he's a jackhole too. He's not a perfect angel. But he's also been led down this path by the fucking devil himself. He yeah, wouldn't have been here on his own. He's tried to get out of the life a couple of different times throughout the run of the series like he's tried to get away from it he has the whole thing when 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 jane dies and you know he kind of speaking of fugue states he's just kind of in a like half a season long fugue state where he's just having those giant raves and like oh yeah whatever like can we talk about how great badger and skinny pete are but <laughs> we have not mentioned badger and skinny pete yet and that is not fair because badger That's and skinny pete are amazing that's some that's some kind of crime. Thank you, thank you, Vince Gilligan, for bringing them back for El Camino. Yes, I. Uh, but it just, is a little bit sad. There's one part in like I want to say an early season. I don't remember which one exactly, but Skinny Pete and Combo are like, "Yo, Jesse, you got any meth? We could totally go for a hit." And he's like, "Nah, I'm you know taking a break. It's making me paranoid." And they're like, "Okay, we're gonna leave." He's like, "No, no, I'm just joking. Let's totally get high." Like you can see how lonely he is, how desperate he is to have company. Yeah. And the next day, he's so fucking paranoid. He's looking out the window, just fucking terrified of anybody that's coming past it. Like, he puts himself in a position of just complete vulnerability or just putting himself in the worst place possible just so he's not alone. Yeah. And that's why he's been with Walt this whole time, because he's so scared to be alone. Walt's eliminated everybody else in his life that he could possibly have as an ally and left himself as the sole option for Jesse. I mean, think about like, uh, I mean, basically the series is a string of better father figures. I mean, you could argue like, fine, he's a drug kingpin, but even Gus is a better father figure for Jesse than Walt is. Yeah. Like everybody, but you're right. Walt runs through everybody. Walt destroys everyone in his path. And, you know, Jesse just has nowhere left to turn to because everything else he loses everything else falls apart so he just ends up getting sucked back into Walt's bullshit yep and like <sighs> what a fucked up dude i like i don't i but i still i still like walt what's wrong with yeah, that like, that's, i that's... still i still can understand and empathize with a portion of where he's gotten to where he is like yes he got out of control and just went way off the rails but i still i cannot fully hate him yeah and that's like when you think about uh, what we got to talk about ozymandias now but when you think about like the things that he does like even just in that episode like Number one, he rats out Jesse. They don't know where Jesse is. You know, they, they they think maybe Jesse got away and, you know, they've killed Hank. There's nothing he could do to stop that now. But then he lets that ego, that Heisenberg ego take over. And he's like, no, you still owe me Pinkman. So first he rats him out. Then when they're dragging him away to be basically to be executed, like he doesn't know at this point that they're going to, you know, enslave him, him and keep him alive. Uh, to cook meth for him so basically before he gets dragged off to be executed as far as he knows then he tells them that he watched jane die like just what i 
even that alone. And then you also have in that same episode, you know, you have that moment. Like, I mean, I love the performance that Cranston gives, especially in that episode, because he gets back to the house and he's trying to pack everything. And you have Skylar there. And Anna Gunn is so good in that fucking episode, too, where she's just like, where's Hank? what happened to Hank and he's just he's trying 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 to find whatever excuse he can to try to explain it away or to say this or to say that or whatever but like she pulls that knife and then they have that fight but then when he leaves he grabs the baby that's so fucking evil holy like Jesus Christ like I I agree with you 100% I love Walt as a character I love Cranston so much but I love him because I have not probably ever, or maybe he's top three, hated a character in the history of television so fucking much. I hate him so much. It kind of reminds me of Michael Chiklis's character in The Shield like that. Like, mm-hmm. you hate Vic Mackey so fucking much, but you still understand him and you still agree with him and you still love him. Have a him. certain level of respect for exactly. the game. Exactly, because there's a lot of parallels between this series and that, because that's kind of similar how it everything's kind of fine until you get to that final season, until after Lem dies, which is still. Oh, Lem. Fuck you. That was so sad. God damn it. I love Lem so much, but like it's just. It's it's really similar in that regard where all of a sudden everything like his whole connected life falls to shit all at once like everything comes crashing down. This series builds in pretty much the same way where everything starts collapsing down in on itself all at once. Yeah, and as much Hank as dies, I hate like Walt, when Lim dies, yeah, it's the same. As much as I hate Walt and everything, but I it's so it's so weird and like you think about the performance or the performances that they all give throughout all of this, but like even just the phone call, even the phone call that Walt makes to Skylar to tell her, you know, basically to basically tell her where the baby is, but knowing, knowing that it's going to be tapped. But then I love the shots in that. Like you get that voice through the other side of it, where he's basically blaming everything on her and trying to take all the guilt and put it on himself because he already knows like how badly they're going to get it. Yeah. And then, but like you cut back to those shots of him and holy fuck, how, how heartbreaking is he in those scenes? Because it's gone. Everything's gone. His whole life. It's, it's over everything. He's he left has his fought family for. destitute. Everything he didn't yeah. want to do starting out. He everything has is gone. And brought on them. And yeah. 10 times worse because instead of just dying of lung cancer and leaving his family desolate, he has completely ruined their entire lives from then on yep. out. And he's killed a family member. Like he has made everything so much worse oh than it initially God. could have been. Yeah. Like, like how brilliant and how fucking heartbreaking is Cranston in like those closing moments of that episode what, I mean, like, it rips your heart out. And, like, this is the same character, like, in the same episode. You're like, holy fuck, you are the worst person ever. I hate you so much. You are so terrible. But you're still, that's the genius of this show. That's why this show is so brilliant. Because you love this character so much, even though he's so reprehensible that you can't, I can't, I can't even finish a sentence about it. You can't fully hate it. him. Yeah. Like, 
you want to and you and you you condemn everything he does and you you want to whatever but at the same time you're just like i get it like because ultimately it's what lengths would you go to for the people that you love would you be irrational would you make irrational decisions for the people that you love to try to do something good for your family to try to take care of your family whatever the case may be you know yeah like you get it on that level and you understand it and it's just oh it's 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 genius i mean it's literal genius i mean no matter there there are weaker moments and we i think we're going to talk about some of those in in a moment here there are definitely weaker moments throughout this series that aren't like perfect but i don't even necessarily think that's a fault of those moments or the show as a whole but i think it's just that when this show is good when this show is like literally best drama of all time levels of good it just kind of reflects like you want all the rest of the show to be like that as well but then you realize it's all it's Vince Gilligan slowly building this tower out of cards very slowly adds another adds another adds another and then all of a sudden at the like one point just flicks away the bottom and the whole thing just comes crashing down perfectly so so perfectly so as many faults as there are and i mean we'll get to them i just it wouldn't change anything like it's no. it's still perfect like it is literally one of the most perfect shows ever constructed ever realized ever i agree all right so some of those weaker moments that you were alluding to let's talk about those uh yeah there there are a few there <laughs> I only have one that really comes to mind, and that's the the entire fly episode. I hate that. I mean, I don't dislike the episode. I mean, it's one of those things where it's it's a I get, I get it in a TV perspective. Like they needed to shoot a really low budget episode to fill out the rest of their episode order, mm-hmm. and I like I mean, there's not a show that I could possibly ever think of that just didn't have to fill and fit into a production schedule so oh we have this many episodes slated so we have to deliver this many to the network it i I get it i understand why people don't like it i like it i don't dislike it like i think that walt is that kind of a character where he would be that paranoid about something like a fly like i i really really do so i like it from that perspective in terms of an exploration of walt's character but I get why people don't like it because ultimately it's pointless and ultimately nothing happens. Yeah. It's just a, it's total filler, which the yeah. show had not produced any wasted episode up until this point to me. Yeah. I mean, it's it really, I mean, like I said, I, I get it. So I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't check against that on you. Cause I understand why people don't like it, but like, cause I do like it as kind of a, almost like a little self-contained exploration of of Walt's character in terms of that. But yeah, I mean that's that is 100% TV being TV. And as a fan of some shows that have like I mean, well, you know cuz I did an episode of this show with you about Lost, but like I love Lost, but like there was never a bigger victim of that kind of thing than Lost, like holy shit, filler after filler after filler after filler, where it's like, oh my God. And then they finally streamlined it in the like the back half of the series. And it's like, thank you so much. Because I could not take any more of you stretching this shit out. 
house. It's just like, and I'm glad that TV has moved beyond that point where you've got to do like a 20 something episode season. Right. That's just ridiculous. And that's this was one of those first shows that was like that, too, where, you know, it only did, you know, 13 episode seasons basically up until season five. And then they were just like, no, rather than doing two more full seasons, let's just, you know, do. 16 episodes but we're just going to cut it in half like that's perfect that's absolutely perfect and i love the streaming culture that we're in now that you know we don't have to do things like fill out a 20 plus episode like that's like i talked about it earlier but i'm binging back through the office again and it's just like how is all this in the same season still yeah. Like this is insane to think about like but that's what you did in network television especially back in the day was you had to churn out you had to crank out that many episodes in one sitting but I think audiences today they want things that are more well executed narratively as opposed to just like oh I better get my episode of XYZ on XYZ day. Yeah. You know. It, it, modern audiences, modern TV viewers aren't as much like that. They like to be able to binge things. They like things that don't have more episodes than they need. But like I said, I, I get it. I completely understand why people do not like that episode. I completely understand it. I mean, it's one episode out of 62. So 61 episodes to me are all necessary yeah. and drive the story, drive the narrative, do what and It's not even a bad do. episode. It's just pointless. It's just boring. <laughs> it's, it's just pointless. It's, it's just so stupid. <laughs> All right, so what what do you feel like you would have changed or wanted to do differently? Uh, so I talked about it a little bit before, but I th- I think, and I think this is why it's not really a very Walt-centric season, but I think season four, I think the cat and mouse game between Walt and Gus goes on for a little bit too long. Like, it just kind of gets dragged out. And I mean, it gets dragged out in the in the effort to flesh out all these other corners of the kind of breaking bad universe like i said we spend a lot of time with jesse and mike doing their runs for gus this season we spend a lot of different time with all these different characters and it's great in that regard we get a lot of gus's backstory but at the same time all that stuff is happening because the a plot of the the series it's not the a plot of the season but like the a plot of the series which is kind of walt's whole thing walt kind of just gets pushed to the background in season four, like Walt's Walt doesn't really move much as a character in season four. Like he's basically forced to kind of keep cooking meth kind of under duress, even though he's still getting paid, which I think is weird. I've never understood. Like he kills Gail who, I mean, in, you know, obviously Gus had some kind of relationship with Gail. Like they kill Gail basically to force Gus into a corner and say that you don't have any other choice. He goes to the point of literally, cutting victor's throat in front of them and then tells them to get back to work but i mean is is it just because of it like gus's honor code like because gus has that kind of honor where he's like i'm still gonna pay him because i agreed to pay him that's a good like, point i never why thought are you about still paying that? this motherfucker like fuck him like he, he's he lucky murdered. to be alive that should yeah. be wow i never thought about that i've never understood why wall is still making money in season four like he should no why are you still giving him money <laughs> That's a really like good I said, point. I really, I honestly, I have to believe it's because Gus has just like kind of that honor code about him, you know? I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. Because I've never understood it from any other perspective. It's like, why are you 
rewarding this guy that just fucked you over so hard. And he literally does everything he possibly can to, like, everything. Like, he fucks up everything. Literally every. I know he makes really good meth. I get it. And I know it's a big hit and whatever. I get it. But meth heads are still going to buy meth. Yeah, at at some point, and, and that's kind of my other thing. It's like at some point, we talked about it a while ago now, but at some point, when does Walt just, you know, become more expendable? And I feel like he should have been more expendable in that regard. So I feel that they should have at least paced up, you know, like maybe if instead in season four, you're like, you know, you have a scene where Gus, he cuts Victor's throat, tells him to get back to work. And then like maybe an episode or two later, like everything's in limbo, like they're in fear, like they're terrified, they're whatever. And then like Walt is like, Gus refuses to pay him or something. And then you could have something where, and I'm sorry, Vince Gilligan, but you know, you have something where Walt is basically like, okay, well, I'm not going to cook for you anymore or anything. And then it's like an escalation of tension from that point yeah, or something, you know, like maybe if that, if that was sped along a little bit more, but instead it tries to do this thing where you have Gus, like they're trying to keep Jesse on board and they're trying to separate Jesse from Walt. They're trying to pull them apart because that's really like the last thing. I think ultimately it's from Gus's standpoint, it's to keep blue meth in production because they still need Jesse to cook blue meth. And Jesse hasn't wronged them as much as Walt has. Like Jesse's still, like you said, malleable. Yeah. He still has too much loyalty to Walt to just turn on him at the beginning. So season four, I get it in that regard. It's basically them trying to turn Jesse against Walt for the majority of it, Mm -hmm. which I like. I really, really enjoy that aspect of it, but it kind of leaves Walt in limbo and being the main character of the series, it's kind of, he shouldn't be left in limbo, really. That's interesting. I actually, I'm looking forward to now my next rewatch, watching that with that in mind. I've never understood why. Uh, yeah, I've never understood why, why he's still paying him. And th- you know what? The only other thing, and I just I just hate it because it seems almost like a soap opera-ish type of thing to do in a show. I hate the DVD. The Forced Confession DVD. That like, was vile. I, it's a vile thing on Walt's part, but I just, I just, I can't don't see where like Skyler it. would go along with that, though. Neither can I, and I can't understand like how it's even a good play. Like, who's going to believe it? I think what that evidence just, is there? Walt's been you know? painted into such a corner that he's grasping at straws, and he's yeah, doing I think anything so too. he can to get an emotional reaction out of Hank, so that he responds emotionally instead of logically. I okay, I you know what I would agree with that. It just seems like such a soap opera-y plot development to me, you know? But yeah, I, I I could definitely agree with you there that it's maybe more just something to provoke yeah. an emotional response out of Hank. To get him to make a wrong move because Yeah, because it's like, it's never going to fucking work. Like, even no. if even if Nobody Walt just delivered it that. to the police themselves, it was like, oh, you've got to know this. Or like, what? it's never, ever going to work. Ever in a million years. I think it's just to, like, piss Hank off. Like, this motherfucker is really going to do this to me. Like, after all the shit he's already done to our family, he's going to pull this move. Like, yeah. and then you get an emotional reaction instead of a logical Thank Thankfully, it's 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 there and gone. It's 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 not a it's not a long-standing no, plot like developer. Do you think it doesn't? Thing. Yeah, it doesn't hang out forever. And it's like, oh my god, this. Oh my god. No, <laughs> Hank's not dumb whatever. enough to believe that that would actually fly. I think it's just the audacity of Walt to even attempt this stunt is so insulting. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about before we wrap up? Uh, you know, I think the only other thing 
is I wish, and this isn't a bad thing necessarily, but I wish that Hank hadn't been sidelined as long as he was from getting shot by the cousins. Yeah. Because then they go through that really weird thing where he's like collecting minerals, not rocks. Minerals. Minerals. They're not rocks, Murray. Uh, Jesus Christ, Murray, the minerals. But like, I love Hank and I just like he just didn't get a lot to do in that kind of he was just kind of he was in limbo, I think, in that season three period. And I mean, I love absolutely love Betsy Brandt. And she's on what show is she on now? She's on some comedy. I forget what it's called now. I have no idea. The ex used to watch it. Hang on. I can tell you. I will say while you're looking that up, I have dealt with in real life somebody that was going through like paralysis and that kind of stuff. And it is an emotional journey. It is a lot. So it is a realistic portrayal of what would have happened. Like you said, he is kind of sidelined and that is real life. Like, but I guess I wasn't as perturbed by it because it kind of rang true to me from my life experience. I just wish he hadn't been sidelined so long. Like I wish they wouldn't like, I'm I mean, from a writing perspective, I from guess maybe I wish that they hadn't yes. made him be as injured as he was like i love the physical therapy aspects of it and i love him the frustration that he's dealing with trying to be physically active again and trying to walk and all those things i love all that stuff i think it's really great compelling character work especially you know for his perspective i just wish they hadn't sidelined the character in terms like in a writing perspective so long she's in a life in pieces is what it's called it's kind of a comedy but it's shot in like little vignettes so you'll get like one segment is like just this one random thing with these people. And one segment is just one random thing with these people. It's not just like one episode of the show. Like here's this plot. Here's this plot. Here's this plot for the whole episode. Mm-hmm. You know, it does it in like little short vignettes, which is really a nice kind of thing, but it's also really, really funny. Okay. Marie, like Marie does not get a lot to do character wise. No. Most of the series, like they give her the klepto thing in season one, which is weird. It, that actually I mean, expands into season two. It yeah. goes on for a long time. It's just like, I just wish that that character had more to do. But I mean, what? But you can't really involve her in anything else. Like, is she get what? What did you be Walt's drug mule or something? Like, you know, I mean, where else can you really put that character in there? I just wish, like, character wise, like, even if it would have been side plots, but then we would have gotten more episodes or more subplots like Fly, where it's less connected. She was one of the characters. Her and Walt Jr. were not super well rounded out. They were just mm-hmm. there, I guess, to represent the family. Just aspect. very, very secondary, very supporting characters. Yeah. We haven't even talked about Walter Walter Jr. yet or F- Flynn. God, I didn't. I will say God he did a very good portrayal because he actually does have cerebral palsy but not to the extent that the character does yeah yep so he did a great job portraying that from what i could tell but like that character was i mean i'm in no hurry nor do i have any desire to have children and that did not do anything to aid that desire yeah (laughs) like (laughs) yeah i love i do love him in the in the series though i i think he's meant to play like and emotionally disturbed and obviously he's dealing with cerebral palsy so he's got all the physical challenges and everything as well teenager yeah and i think he does a really really great job in it he's he's a very secondary very you know tertiary character but he's still great i still really really enjoy him in that but regard there's just not much to talk about with him so there's not all you can do is say you i love him. him he exists good job next exactly exactly <laughs> all right 
I guess we are at that point and we've had the entire recording time for you to think about who do you want to marry, who do you want to bang, and who do you want to kill? Oh, I've... Oh, God damn it. Okay, so I figured out the bang. Okay. Can I start with bang? Yeah, start, you start with whoever you want to start with. Fucking Lydia. Oh, man. really? Man, she's a firecracker. Oh, I don't want to be around her for like longer than is necessary, so I wouldn't marry her. No. I don't want to kill her because I'm saving that for somebody else, but yeah. Okay. Oh, oh she just... Ooh, something wild about her. I, I no mean, wonder. I don't think there's very much wild. She's buttoned her button to the top button. Listen, but listen. I, whatever I'm willing to bet moment. you, you peel off a couple of those layers of clothing and maybe... Mm-hmm. You want you want the Todd experience? <laughs> I see. I get it. I get what you get Todd's, Todd's into. Attraction. Do you have a snowball with Lydia? I I wish. <laughs> oh, That's an El Camino joke for those of you who don't know. Oh my lord! Uh, so let's. Oh God! I was going to say we can go back and forth. I'll tell you my bang. My bang is the fucking smoking hot and i am no way into chicks however Kristen ritter as jane could get it yeah mm-hmm. jane is gorgeous like yeah she has her issues so it would just be a bang sesh there was no long-term relationship potential there yeah no but uh, like, she's determined to pull you into a relapse pretty yeah, much no. <laughs> but i would totally let her kiss me God, Kristen Ritter's hot. She's yeah. so hot. I can't even argue with you in, no, that, she's, in that regard. She's got Lydia beat. Oh, okay, so I think I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Mary, okay. right? Okay. So here here we go. Mike Airman Trout. <gasps> Perfect call. That's way better than mine. I'm told because number one, loyal. Yeah. Number two, will protect and take care of you always. And like, I mean, you think about Mike, like Mike does everything possible to keep his family disconnected from his life, from what he does. And if I'm going to involve myself with one of these characters, like I've got to be with somebody who I know, like if they do end up going down this road, they're going to insulate me from it, but they're still going to be loyal to me and still try to take care of me. That's Mike. That's perfect. Fuck yeah, Mike. Fuck I was yeah, gonna Mike. say Hank, but I'm switching to Mike. Mike's hundred yeah. percent it. He's perfect. He's the only quote unquote like good person out of all of these. If you marry characters. Hank, you have to drink Schrader Brow all the time. Oof. No, thank you. <laughs> Hard pass. And Hank's a little bit on the like cocky side rather than confident. And he's kind of like a dick. So I'm not really 100% into that, but he was like, I was just thinking about like people who are actually good people with good intentions, but I forgot about Mike. So yes, Mike, I switched mine to Mike. Yeah. I was just like looking at like the whole cast list. I'm like, who? And then I just see Jonathan Banks. I'm just like, done. There's no way it can be any, it has to be, has to be. It's 100% him. Oh, and now, okay. So I've got to do kill. Yeah. I feel like Walt's the easy one. I didn't pick Walt. I think Walt is too easy. And I think that there's a lot of characters that are too easy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pick a controversial one. And I do it with all the love in the world because I absolutely adore him. But I'm going to kill Saul. <gasps> yeah. Because because as much as I love Bob Odenkirk, as much as I love that character, and as funny as that character is. 
Saul's a piece of shit and he will step on your throat if it means doing something good for Saul. I gotta I gotta do it. I love him more than life itself, but I've gotta do it. I've I I've got I mean literally he will he will step on your back and break it like if it means advancing his own agenda. I'm so sad this is not a video podcast because my facial reaction to everything right now. The silence, the silence says it all. The, I the, can't. The stunned silence. And like I said, I, I Nick, I'm on the verge of tears, and that's not because I've had a decent amount of makers. Like I, I adore want to cry at the idea of you killing Saul Goodman. <laughs> I adore the character so much. The character is so perfect, and Odin Kirk is so perfect as the character, especially no. in Better Call Saul. No, but you yeah. Can't kill him. He I would fuck him. you over so hard at the first chance he got because that's what he does. Oh, my heart <laughs> is hurt. I'm killing Skylar. She's a fucking stupid cunt. She's literally ball busted Walt since day one, made him feel like less of a person, which is what I believe is the catalyst for his need to overcompensate is because Skylar has literally brought him down to less than nothing. He feels so emasculated feels by her. Exactly. Yeah. He, she has made him literally feel like dust. I think it's a combination of her and Gretchen and Elliot in yes. that regard. And so because he's been relegated to this fucking pathetic mm-hmm. life that he was not intended for. And so I'm killing Skylar because she is a childish, <laughs> rude, mean, emasculating bitch of a woman. I mean, there are, there are like a dozen different characters that you could easily, I think, put on the kill list and easily. make a good case for them. The only reason the, I had to pick Saul because I think, number I one, get, I knew it would I provoke on board with this. it would provoke the best reaction out of you. I knew Fuck it. Fuck you. And I, like I said, I just, I don't know. But I, listen, I'm living comfortably married to Mike, so... Good. Uh, except for he keeps getting his fucking stash taken from him at all times. Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, that's like but the only he will hustle and figure out a thing. way to get it back because he is a goddamn treasure. He is one hundred percent a treasure. Oh my god, Nick, this has been my favorite. I feel like I broke Ashley, guys. You might have. I I think I'm gonna go <laughs> sob uncontrollably, and that's. I feel like that's more to do with my mental state after watching so much Breaking Bad in the last couple of months, and less to do with you saying you're gonna fictionally kill one of my fictional favorite characters. Listen, let's be fair here too. Like when we do Better Call Saul eventually, <sighs> he would not be my kill for no. Better Call Saul. No, not even close. Because no, if because you don't, you've got so much more Jimmy McGill. Yeah. If you don't stand over the corpse of his brother, like dancing, like riddling it with bullets, then yeah, because <laughs> oh, holy asshole. shit, his brother is a piece of fucking garbage. What a fucking! It's prick. not. I'm not even saying it's Saul's fault that no. I want to kill him in this, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I broke Ashley, guys. <laughs> I'm I'm in a dark place now. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Is this your retribution for loss? Is that why you did that? No, no. I don't believe you. You know, you know how much I love him and how much I love the show and Better Call Saul. Why are there tears in my eyes right now? Because you're just thinking about it. It's like, oh. Oh Everybody else, listen, everybody else that you can put on the kill list is too easy because it's like, oh, you can put Gus on there because he runs a fucking meth empire, you know, like... It's too easy to put so many other people on there. Too easy. I got to make the hard choices here. Hard choices. I'm in such a weird place right now because I've had a decent amount of makers. And then, like, I'm actually a little bit crying that you want to kill someone. 
<laughs> what is my life? You know oh what? Oh my god. Let me let me let me add a little a little bit of icing on it, if oh, you will, you. at the oh, end. And I say scared. that deliberately because think of the shell of a life that poor Saul Goodman is reduced to after this. And we get to see it in the flash forwards in Better Call Saul, where he's just this miserable manager of a Cinnabon, Cinnabon. in Omaha. Like it just those are the saddest fucking scenes to watch. They, they are, are so sad. And it's it's a testament to how great a dramatic actor Bob Odenkirk is that he you take the character that he is, Saul Goodman, Jimmy McGill, in, in, in both series, and you watch those little pieces, those little black and white pieces that are his life after Breaking Bad. Holy fuck is that sad and heartbreaking. Let me tell Holy you. Holy shit. As someone who's worked in food service and food service management, there is nothing more depressing than the idea of managing a fucking Cinnabon. <laughs> Right. And think about like everything he had, like the entire life that he had, all the things that he had, everything that Walt took away from him. He had all his ducks in a row. Think about everything that Walt took away from everybody. He, oh God. Fuck you, Walter White. (laughs) You're a treasure and I love you. And if by some fucking will of God you ever hear this, I'm your friend and I would never kill you. Draw that line of the sand. Be like, now Nick, you know, Nick is not the one for you to befriend. He's a fucking piece of shit. He's the Walter White of this podcast. Oh, oh Oh my god, Nick, this has been a treat. I fucking love talking to you. I love you so much. I love you so much. Do you want to give your spiel for where people can find you, which they probably already know? But go ahead, it's well rehearsed. I want to hear it. Um, we're no, cause we're the Epic film guys. And we've been doing this for five years. You know where to find us. If you want to all the attention I ever care to turn anywhere is to live stream for the cure, which yes. you'll be joining me for again. Yes, sir. And well, Daniel will be here live and in color. And uh, I, I could not, I mean, literally all kidding aside, I could not do it without Dan. He is literally instrumental to it. I would die without Dan helping me do it, especially like, like last year with as unhealthy as I was like, that was what a month after Kayla's wedding. Like I was so unhealthy. So uh, I feel so good now. I feel so little stress. I feel so good in terms of all the weight I've lost and how happy I am in my life. Like I'm in a much better place this year to do it than I was. Than I was I'm last so year. I'm so proud but... of you, by the way. Thank you. You're a fucking inspiration. I try. I'm trying. You but... don't have to try. You just are. You live your life in a way that makes you happy, and that is inspirational. Thank you. You're but welcome. Live stream for the cure. It, I mean, like I said, we're epic film guys. Just search for us. You'll find us. We're live out stream there, for the cure. When's that please. happening this year? Support live stream for the cure. The kickoff event, which I still have no idea what that means. I just decided to plan it. And I'm like, I'll figure it out later. And now I've kind of like in a place where I have to think about it. And I'm like, oh, fuck. You've got a couple months. It's okay. We're kicking it off on May 27th, May 27th, a four hour kickoff event. And then the next four days, we're going to be live for 48 hours to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. We're going to do a lot of good and we're going to raise a lot lot of of money too. It's so much fun. It's it's exhausting for me, especially. Mm-hmm. And I know like Dan, I mean, literally was about dead last year. Like, I don't know how we didn't die last year. This year is going to be so much easier because I've streamlined things. I've spaced out the segments. We're not we're going to have less guests this year, even though we're going to be on the air for a lot longer, which is weird to 
kind of contextualize or kind of comprehend. But yeah, it's 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 going to be absolutely amazing. It's all for a very, very good cause to support the Cancer Research Institute. They're a wonderful nonprofit out of New York. 88 cents out of every dollar goes to research. They're rated over 92%, I still believe, over on Cherry Navigator. They're very, very good, good charity and putting money towards something that, you know, we should all care about very, very much, which is stopping all forms of cancer because fuck cancer. So absolutely that's head to livestreamforthecure.com right now you can it'll it'll take you to a wordpress page basically where it tells you all about the event over years past and as things get closer and closer to this year's event may 27th through the 31st are the days but as it gets closer to this year's event you'll get more and more and more information in terms of who's guesting who's doing this who's doing that whatever the case may be it's going to be wonderful and i i absolutely can't wait it's going to be such a wonderful time and you and I will be discussing Better Call Saul season four, which hits Netflix uh, on February uh, 9th. Uh, so uh, if you would like to hear Nick and I gushing over Vince Gilligan some more, you can tune in for that <laughs> segment and donate all your fucking money, bitches. All of it. Because we of ooh, it. Don't that's pay gonna rent. be I mean we but we hit our goal. Our goal last year was seventy five hundred. We hit it at the end of day two. Yeah. And we still had a whole nother day where donations just kind of trickled in because people were like, Oh, well, they've already hit their goal. You know? There's no uh, such thing as longer. hit your goal. Like when you're trying to fucking get rid of cancer. Exactly. And honestly, we're talking about a show that if cancer wasn't even a fucking problem, would not have even existed. Exactly. What better place to plug live stream for the cure than on a break exactly. podcast? Exactly. So yeah, it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful event. So please come out and support it. And yeah, if you check out Epic film guys in the in the interim too i mean please do i love our show i'm very proud of what we do and what we have done over the past several years of podcasting please check us out it'd be really really fun i love it it's great all right nick i love you we're gonna wrap this up i love you thank you so much for having me you're welcome i will see you soon because we will have welcome back what what thank you now i'm ahead because this is january 26th we're recording this it doesn't come out to the third week in february so bitches own it that means you guys have already seen, by the time you're listening to this, you've already seen Better Call Saul season four. <gasps> I probably have too, because now that we've done this, now that we finished recording this, I could start my Better Call Saul rewatch. Oh my God, and I that's 100% what I'm doing when I get off. Cannot wait. I can't. Oh, although Michael McKean in that show, I like you talk about people that I love to fucking hate. Yep. Holy fuck, do I hate his character, but Jesus, he's good. He's but we'll so talk about that. He's so good at making me hate him. Better Another Call time. Saul season four live stream for the cure for Tokyo Drift. Wait, that's that's Fast and the Furious three. Dan would know what it is. Anyway, now now he's gonna leave. Now he's moving out because you just know you have to know you're a Fast and Furious franchise. Well, that's next after the Star Ashley. Wars. Oh dear God! I don't even. I can't wait. Don't tell me. I don't want to hear a single thing. I want to listen to the Star Wars episodes as they come out. Because for anybody who's interested, I have never seen any of the Star Wars movies. I saw one of the more recent ones in theaters, but like, I am not big into space sci-fi. I'm not big into politics. So like, Star Wars has never appealed to me. But for Netflix and Swill's Patreon, I am watching through the entire Star Wars. My I guess, God. catalog. And then for each episode or for each movie, we're recording like a little 30 minute segment of my reaction. I can't wait. I've now seen Phantom Menace. We'll leave it at that. Oh, boy. So is that the order you guys decided on? You're doing yeah, the, he went the on chronological. chronological. So like, that's good. Yeah. That's what I think you should do, because I mean, number one, it gives you a different perspective on it, you know, and I mean, it's like. 
Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980. It's 2020. Everybody knows that Vader is Luke's dad at this point. Wait, what? Like, shut kidding. up. <laughs> Everybody knows it at this point. Like it's a pop culture thing. Like you can't ever escape it. You know. So it's like I I think I would like the perspective of you watching them chronologically as opposed to watching them in, the order in order of release and stuff. And people are always like, "Well, you can't do this." Well, so with pop culture, there's certain things that have permeated that I'm aware of that I would not right, normally yeah. be aware of going into it. But we'll just leave that for the podcast. I can't wait. So if you would like pay to pay money those, to Netflix and Swill, yeah, do just it. give a dollar a month to Netflix and Swill. We're already hosted on their website. You're familiar with how to find them. I'm not going to plug Dan's shit because I don't see any of that money. It only pays for our Netflix account. So whatever. That's it. <laughs> Nick, I love you so much. We're going to hit stop recording now and then we're going to talk for you. hours afterwards. I know. I love you. I love you. Thank Mwah. you. A voi, mie signori, io voglio manare la storia che tanto mi fa disperare. Son già sette mesi che vedo cadere dal capo i capelli pian piano. Ormai son pelato, deluso e finito, non so quale cure adottare. Ma senti cosa dice quel povero infelice. Non ti lamentar, ma prova a cantar con noi questa canzone. Crapa pelata la fai torta e che venga la minga soffra de. Oh, mi soffra de fa la frittata che venga la minga crapa pelata. Oh, crapa pelata la fai torta e che venga la minga soffra de. Mi soffra de fa la frittata che venga la minga crapa pelata. Crapa pelata la fai torta e che venga la minga soffra de. Oh, crapa pelata crapa pelata crapa pelata crapa pelata crapa pelata.